Thank you so very much. It's, uh, it's great to be back at Gateway. Uh, unbeknownst to you, perhaps, but I have been following your progress. I don't know if any of you remember when I was here. Uh, golly, we've done several things, you know, together. I, I filled in several times uh, before Pastor Ben got here, and uh, since he's been here, I've done a couple of dramas, uh, Christmas dramas and different things, and uh, anybody remember that at all? Both of you. Okay, good. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it's great to be back here. It's good to see Brother Clayton and his wife. And I tell you, it's just, there's so many of you that, um, and Tony, you did uh, spend too much time at camp. Yes. Were you in my counseling group when I was, I think you were one of my boys. I was his counselor. Now listen, if you want some stories on Tony, if you'd like some story, I can, I can share them with you. Um, in fact, for that matter, I, I have stories on Pastor Ben. Now, see, you need to understand this. I, he hasn't given me the pulpit since he's been pastor. I think I've only done dramas, so he's missing out. I know he's listening right now to this tape, which is, you know, going to get his way. But I, I want Pastor Ben to know that he took a risk this morning in allowing me to have the pulpit in his absence. I remember when Pastor Ben was born. I was there, well, not there in the hospital, but I was there at his church. We grew up in the same church together in Detroit at Brightmore, and I've known his family real well, and, I, and I've watched Pastor Ben grow up, and if you want stories, I have got uh, several $50 stories. Uh, I've got a couple of $100 stories. I even have one $500 story. If you really like that one, Brother Dave, you know, what? What? I'm a missionary. I can be bought, okay? I'm raising funds. Just, just cut me some slack, you know? <laughs> no, I'll tell you what's remarkable about Pastor Ben. You know what you see on the outside, that, that loving, tender, sensitive, kind-hearted, gentle-spirited kind of guy on the outside? Let me tell you what's on the inside. It's a loving, tender, kind-hearted, gentle-spirited kind of guy on the inside, too. You have, how many of you know you're blessed? You guys just are. All three of you know you're blessed. The rest of you, I want to tell you that you are indeed blessed this morning. And I am so proud of Pastor Ben and what he's done, what God has done through him, what he and his wife have done. Those guys are a dynamic couple, and you're just blessed. It was God's hand, God's time, and it's awesome. It's awesome. And so I encourage you, if, if you're a guest this morning, um, I know we have, uh, we, we have some out-of-town folks, but if you're a guest this morning in town, I didn't... I didn't crank my neck around to see if you were here for the first time, but if you're here the first time, second time, whatever, this is a great church. You will love Gateway. The people love God. They'll love you, and uh, I encourage you to come back. Take your Bibles with me this morning. I want to share with you a message. In fact, I've been, I had one of those mornings where the Lord was kind of fussing with me about what the message was going to be about. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, if you would. And join me this morning. Brother Dave, I left my paper in the office. What time does it tell me I have to be done by? 3.30. <laughs> is that France time or is that a... I just came home from France last week, so I'm... I'm okay, not a problem. Well, we won't go that long, but I, uh, some of you are getting real nervous already. I can see that very clearly. The pot roast is, is going to be a burnt offering. Anyways, um, these are incredible days we're living in. How many of you know that? I mean, just unparalleled days. And Dave, thank you for that introduction. You, you, you touched my heart in a special way. I remember that time, and I've forgotten that you had been uh, a part of that and were over there uh, so many years ago. 
These are days, man, like we've never experienced before. It only takes you a little bit. Um, how many of you are, are when the news comes on, you want to just turn it off, go to a different station, you want to just, because it's so horrible. I mean, it, don't raise your hand because I don't want you to indict yourself because it's true. We often get that way today because of what's going on. Uh, situations, but I would encourage you that if you'll listen to the news and you'll take interest, and it's hard to know, it's hard to know what to eat, what to, you know, you got to eat the meat and spit out the bones, but you got to understand what's what in the news today. It's challenging, but there have never been days like we're living in right now. Now I don't know if you're aware of that or not. From my from my standpoint, I remember once when I was when I was in youth ministries years ago, perhaps back in those days, uh, Dave, but I was, in 1985, through, or 82 through 87, I was the chaplain for the Tigers, and I remember one, one year, I, I, went, I drove one of the cars of the players up to Detroit from spring training, and I got into the ballpark at, Detroit, at the Old Tiger Stadium late at night, and he said, Old Joe will be there, and if you'll just go in, you can find Old Joe, he's expecting you and uh, so I did. I got there about 1 o'clock in the morning, and old Joe was there, let me in the special parking lot back in Tiger Stadium. And so Joe says, i gotta go, I got to go uh, uh, make my rounds. You want to go with me? I said, yeah, I'll go with you. I'm just checking. i got to get some things. He said, all right, come on, catch up with me. So I finished transferring everything out of my car, and, and I went to find old Joe, and I couldn't find old Joe, but, but I, I went all over the stadium looking for him. It's kind of eerie at night being in there all alone. But I, I remember going out, I, looking, and, and there in the silhouette of the, 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 I mean, the moon was shining down. It was, it was bright that night. And, and there, was, there was the pitcher's mound. It was, it was unencumbered. There was nothing there, nobody around. And I thought, I got, I just, there was something with, <laughs> I just had to get out on the pitcher's mound. It's one of those things, you know. So I, I did. I went out, and, and I understood how the pitchers can see from the pitcher's mound. It's, it's high enough. You've got a little bit of an advantage, and you can see around everywhere. I, uh, I work with our missionaries on the ground in Eurasia, and I spend my time right now. We are trying to raise our support so that I can spend um, a great deal of time in Delhi, India, and I'll tell you about that more in a moment, but uh, I work with our missionaries that are already on the ground. I have in my contact list over 80 missionary friends that are very dear friends of mine that I keep in touch with on a regular basis. I mean, I, I, we have something called Skype on the Internet. It's a, it's a telephone deal. You can call and talk with them, video with them for free, um, through emails, through all different kinds. It's not uncommon for any day for me to go downstairs in my office at my home, and I'll be on the, the computer working and somebody from one of my 80 missionary friends will pop up and say, hey, Dean, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? And I'll have a conversation with them, either instant messaging or on Skype live. And, and it is amazing that when I'm sitting at my office desk, it'll, it'll be four, five, six, eight countries within a few moments' time. And if you could be on that pitcher's mound with me for just a moment, you would be amazed at, at the day that we're living and what's happening around the world. There are events that are happening around the world that, that are, that are mind-boggling, even for those who study missions, who are involved in missions, who, it, it, it's incredible, church. 
And I want to say right up front, before I jump into God's Word this morning, how, how blessed and, and uh, proud that I am of Gateway Assembly, uh, of, of Gateway Church, that you guys have put missions as a forefront in this church. You walk in the door and it's missions. You see the banner. I mean, is this a missions convention? Not yet. Well, hello. It's, but you guys are already there with it. I love the flags and the, sta- and, and, and the posters, the banners. I mean, it's, it's what's happening. And if a church, let me tell you something, uh, folks. The churches that are, that are making it today, the churches that are, that are going over the hill, the churches that are rising above barriers, the churches that are really making things happen are those churches who have a heart and a passion for missions and for seeing what God is doing overseas and, and here as well. U.S. missions, foreign missions. In these, and I'll tell you, in these difficult days that we're living in, there are churches today that are crumbling right and left. It breaks my heart when I go to preach at a church and I'm involved with a pastor who may be a friend or somebody that I just met, but I I see them struggling so much, and yet they don't have a missions program. And I want to shake them and say, hey, let me help you here. But there's a... And I see churches, but those churches that I see that God's hand is on and things are beginning to happen, when God knows that he can trust you with a passion and a heartbeat that follows his, he's going to make a difference in the lives of of, of the people of the church, and he's going to pull people into the church because you're lifting up Jesus. That's how it works. So I encourage you, make that happen. Continue to make it a priority. I know Pastor Ben has a great vision for missions. And that's because it's a mandate given to him by God. It's not something he just whipped up in his own heart. But it's a reality around the world. Let's, let me just jump into the word. First uh, Kings chapter 17. Would you stand with me for the honor of the reading of God's word for just a brief moment? This is... This passage is, this story is one of the most um, intense passages that I've ever begun to study. Let's begin to read it in verse number one. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Wow. Father, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you, God, that it's, uh, it's real. Your word is alive. Your word is food to our hearts, to our souls. And I pray, God, this morning that as Jeremiah did, we would find your words and eat them. For they're a delight unto our hearts. Father, uh, nourish us with your word this morning. Oh, thank you, Lord. In your mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you. Please, you can be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Let me set the stage for you here for a brief moment. 
there was a, there was a, a, a deal going on in the land. Things were so bad in Samaria that Elijah was praying for judgment against his nation. And he was praying that God would do something in the nation. And things had gotten so bad that he ended up, as he prayed for no rain, God heard his prayers, and there came a drought to the land as a judgment to the nation for their sin. And so while he is there, uh, this famine and drought overcomes the area. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Needless to say, times were incredibly difficult. They were incredibly immoral. There was an incredible unethical uh, practice going on, and there was also an incredible amount of sin that was happening. Sound familiar? Maybe. There are some parallels there. I don't want to have to say, you know, connect the dots, but it's amazing to me when I consider all of that. And as, as Elijah prayed for all of that, God brought some judgment upon the land. And, and how many of you know that it rains on the just and the unjust? And the just gets sucked up into the, the rain of the unjust. That's what happened. But God said to Elijah, I want you to go and dwell by the brook Kareth. This, this place called Kareth. I want to make that kind of a focal point. In fact, this morning, I want the message to be thought in terms of a journey. We are all on a journey. Uh, I'm so grateful that my son Nathan could be with me this morning. I bring you greetings from my wife Brenda and Lauren, my daughter Lauren. Uh, my daughter just came back with me from overseas. She's nine years old. She made her first debut overseas in ministry. Um, she plays the piano and sings like nobody's business. Thank you very much. And um, she, <laughs> and she, and she uh, was just exhausted. She came down with a cold, a very, very bad, severe cold. And so she's been home and Brenda's home with her, otherwise they would have been here this morning. And, um, but uh, I'd appreciate your prayers for Lauren. But um, I'm so grateful that Nathan could join me today. I remember he and I were driving down the road. This is probably, I don't know how many years ago, Nate, it was, but you said to me, Dad, what's a station wagon? Remember that? No, you don't. That's good. He did. He said, don't listen to him. He's lying. Because uh, one day he did, <laughs> he did say to me, what's a station wagon? And I thought, okie Pete, am I that old? And I couldn't find a station wagon to show him. So I showed him a little crossover vehicle. I said, well, it's kind of like that, only smaller, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I did find a station wagon to show him. But these days that we're in right now, I, I, and I told him, I said, Nate, you have to understand something, that the days that when Daddy grew up uh, here in America are, are all gone. They're, they're different now. They're harder, and, and you're in a place that's different. And it's true. But we're living in... Most, the most incredibly uncertain times, uh, economically, socially, politically. Uh, you stop and think about all of that, and it's, it's uncertain. I want to tell you, too, by the way, that, in fact, the, 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 the director of my, our, our, the guy who sits on my board as the director of our finances for our ministry, he was telling me the other day, and he, he put out, it's been quite a few months now ago, but he, he, uh, he said at once that, that uh, when we started to have the collapse of the financial market, he took one look at his uh, 401 plan and he saw all that he had lost. He, he looked at, the, at his stock investment portfolio and, and he was just mortified. And uh, he, he said, you know, I don't even want to guess what's happened and what's going to happen to it and everything else. But, he then, but then God, he said, spoke to him very clearly and said, but I want you to look at the investments that you've made in the kingdom. 
and, and Steve is a, is a great giver of ministry, uh, not only to our ministry, but to missions in general and, and to the church, and he's just a tremendous, tremendous giver. And God said, I want you to know that those investments, they have not lost anything. In fact, they have gained considerable amount, and the return is awesome, and it will continue to be that way. And I thought, how, how unique that is. But these days in which we're living in, there is a severe drought. There's a famine. There are issues that we're facing every day when we get up that we never dreamed we'd have to face before. And all of a sudden, we're there. What happens when you go from a place of a Garden of Eden to a place of wilderness? I think of, um, I think of what happened in Mark chapter 8, I believe it is, when, when uh, uh, Jesus fed the 4,000. They were together with the disciples, and as they were together there, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude. They've been listening to me teach for three days. All of their food is gone. They're going to go back to their houses, and if they go back without eating, they're going to faint. He said to his disciples, so feed them. And the guys all looked at each other like, you know, sick cows in a hailstorm and said, wow, how can we feed them? We don't have food to feed 4,000 people. And, and they said, he said, uh, listen, if they go back into, it's wilderness out here. The guy said, it's wilderness. There's nothing here. And it was at that moment that Jesus began to do a work in their lives, in the disciples' lives, when he took the bread, he took the fish, he broke it, he blessed it, he, he, he blessed it, then he broke it, then he gave it. And when he did, the, the miracle took place. But it was where Jesus met them in the wilderness. That's what's significant about that miracle. It was right there in their wilderness. And I'm so glad that we serve a God who specializes meeting us where we live in our wilderness. Hello? I mean, if, if, if you're not in a wilderness this morning, thank God. Thank God if, if you're well and, and things are good and, and, and everything is moving your way. But it takes just one phone call. It takes one letter. It takes one conversation to go from an Eden, a garden of Eden that's fruitful and beautiful, to a place of the wilderness. But I'm so grateful this morning to know that God wants to meet us in our wilderness. And there's a dimension right now of lifestyle. There is a process of thinking that must be part of our lives that says, I don't care what happens around me, it doesn't matter the conditions that I face, what matters is, is that my relationship with God is everything that it possibly can be. And if that's the case, then I'm in. I'll be taken care of. Because I know that Jesus will meet me in my wilderness like he did the 4,000. I know that God will make a difference in my life. And God spoke to Elijah, and he said, Elijah, go to the place called Kareth. I love Kareth. Maybe you have been there before. I've been there in my life. In fact, I've been there several times in my life. It's an awesome place to go. Need a vacation? Go to Kareth. It's wonderful. They've got great room service. These birds bring you bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. <laughs> it's, go to Kareth. You, you, there's no waterfront property. <laughs> oh, some of you will get that later on at lunch. It's, it's, <laughs> it's rather a sparse place, actually. It's, it's a place where there is drought, where there is famine, but it's a place where God will take you. It's a place where God will meet you. 
It's a place that only God can do what only God does. It's a place where sometimes you are forced to go. But even if you're forced to go, don't, don't, don't take it so rough. Go. Because, and, and, and what I said a moment ago about going, going from a, a Garden of Eden to a place of wilderness, it's, it's the one phone call. I, I, got a, I got a phone call from a, a very dear friend of mine in Grand Rapids. He's, uh, he's not quite 40 years old. And uh, his mom, who was a dear friend, called me, and she said, Troy's in the hospital, and uh, he's got cancer. Would you please come over and pray with him? And I, I went over there, and I saw him. And, and Troy, my, my, my dear buddy, said, uh, well, they give me a year to live, Dean, and it's going to be a great year. And I was just absolutely blown away. Chances are you've gotten one of those phone calls, or it's the word divorce that separates you from Eden to wilderness. I mean, any, any number of things. It's the phone call in the middle of the night from a state trooper. It's, it's you, you, you name it. It's the pink slip that they give you at the, at the shop when, when they're going to close the plant down. Any number of things. Listen, you don't have to convince me that we're living in a drought and a famine, very much not unlike what Elijah was going through at that moment in his time. But, but I, the good news is this, church, that God wants to bring us, while we're at that place of careth in our lives, God wants to bring us to that place, and it's a place where only He can do what He does. You see, it's a place where you have to become utterly dependent upon God. How many of you have ever been there before? Just, just kind of taking a poll, then you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you understand very clearly. There, we have missionaries right now that are overseas that are in absolute careths. They're in these places where it is utterly God. I call that extreme missions. And we have missionaries right now that are sacrificing their lives for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are not days of, of yesteryear where, where and, and forgive me for saying this, if I offend anybody, I don't mean it in a derogatory or a bad way, but these are not the days of the, of, of the, of the old single lady missionary, you know, with a, with a pith helmet on in Africa, showing with the flannel graph boards the little kids in Africa who are sitting around a rock. And, and you know, that's wonderful. That we, we have, God bless all the dear missionary ladies who are single and who are out there doing the work, and it's there, but we have missionaries like Henry and Karen Linderman who are planted in the, in the heart of Paris, the witchcraft capital of the world. And they have a church there in Paris of about 600 people going strong, and they're, they're, they're cutting holes in the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. And yet the French government is coming down on them in ways that you can't even imagine this morning. We have missionaries who are fearing for their lives, where countries once were ambivalent to the, the things of God, they, they were once very open to things, are now slamming doors shut and coming down very difficult, and making things very difficult. Uh, we, I just want you to know, it, it's not just us. It's not just we in America who are facing some raw deals every once in a while and things that are happening. But it is amazing to me, and here's the beautiful thing about the way this works. It is when you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, and he says to you, move, that you move. It's, it's when you are unencumbered in such a way. It's when you have such clarity of mind and you're able to hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. I am so excited about Tim Enlow and his wife coming here and doing a conference on the Holy Spirit. You will enjoy that. I encourage you to make every effort to be here for those meetings. 
They will bless you, and the ministry will, will, will change your life. But you see, it's in these days that we live when we must have the relationship with God. That's, that's what this whole thing is all about to me. That's what I'm finding is so real in God's Word today that the situations that we're facing, as it does always when persecution and hard times come to any person of the faith in the world, is it either makes you stronger in Christ or it drives you away to forget God. Either one. There is very little in the middle of the road when it comes to serving God when hard times come. Now, fortunately, there are many people who will come into the kingdom of God when hard times come. If the church of Jesus Christ is doing what it should be doing and reaching out to a community and effectively doing uh, the work of the ministry, when that happens, watch out as you guys are. Be careful because all these chairs are going to be soon filled up as difficult times pour in and people are looking for desperate answers in desperate times. And thank God you have the answers here at Gateway. Amen? Careth. It is a place where you are utterly dependent upon God. I tell you, it's not a scary place at all. I would rather be out on a limb with God than sitting on the ground by myself. In our, in our family, in our ministry, in our lives, we, we, we deal with that every day. We face issues and have to deal with situations in our lives. We face financial crunches. We face all the, all the issues, and yet we know because we live in a place called Kareth that God's going to bring the, 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 the bread and meat in the morning and the bread and meat in the evening. And how amazing is it to think that God chose the raven, uh, 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 an animal that is unclean to the Jew, to bring that man his food. I mean, you know, that's why God says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. How many of you know that God, God doesn't struggle in hard times? Some of you didn't know that, and I just wanted to assure you of that good news this morning, that even during hard times, God sits on his throne comfortably. He doesn't worry where the next dime is going to come from. He doesn't worry what's going to happen in the politics around the world because my Bible says that God puts kings on the throne and takes kings off the throne. In case you worried about this last election. Now it's getting quiet. Oh, wait a minute. There's going to be a love offering at the end, isn't there? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. How many of you know it's true? You see... Going to Kareth is not a bad thing. You, perhaps you wanted to go to the south of France on the Mediterranean, but, but when God takes you to Kareth, rest assured, you will be taken care of. It's interesting, though, that, that what happens next in the story is that while he is there and he is, he is feeding on the bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening... The Bible says that he's drinking from the brook during the famine, but then the brook dries up. How many of you have ever listened to the voice of God and obeyed God and have done as God has commanded? You've lived well, God's done well, and all of a sudden the brook dries up. You get another phone call. Something else happens in your life. There's another issue that arises. You know, I'm so glad we made it through the time and the trial of, 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 of this world of Christianity when we got through this thing that said Christians won't go through any problems and 
you know, we'll all be protected and there's no, nothing to be afraid of and it's a life of roses and thank God we made it through that. Because there are moments when you can obey God, when you can listen to the voice of God, when you can hear the word of the Holy Spirit direct you and you have followed him and you have obeyed and God has done the right things in our lives and all of a sudden the brook dries up. It happens. How many of you uh, heard on the news a couple days ago that a young man, 26 years of age, uh, was, was testing out this new dune buggy he bought and it, it rolled over into a ditch full of water and he drowned. How many of you heard that? Did you also hear that he was, he was Mike Sabatino's right-hand man? And Mike is the youth pastor at Holland North Point Assembly of God. This man was right, Mike's right-hand man in his youth ministries at Holland North Point Assembly of God. Pastor Joe Kaufman had to do a funeral yesterday for this young man and his family. And, and, and it has been said, this guy won more people to the Lord than anybody they've thought of alive. Clayton, did you know him? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and I'm saying, oh God, and, and, and here's the family, here's the church, here's and, and yet God says there, there, are, there are times in our lives. Well, there was a purpose and a plan regardless of what happened in that situation. But there are moments in our lives when, God's, when we're doing what God said and the brook dries up. It's incredibly important that, to listen to God's voice because at that point in time, I believe that Elijah had finally come to the place in his life where he had listened to God, he had gotten it down, he had passed the test, he had learned the lesson. Do you know that's where God takes us? If we're truly wanting to be used by God, if we're truly wanting to be uh, somebody that's a vessel chosen by God for his honor, if we're truly wanting to be a believer this morning and to follow God and to hear him, that he takes us through these, these moments of learning lessons. And it doesn't matter how old we are. Tony, who is getting very old. It doesn't matter. What, what matters is, is that we pass the test and go on. Because then God spoke to Elijah and said, get up from here and go to the city of Zarephath. And that's the next step for your ministry. That is the next place that I'll be glorified in the whole process. Remember when Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road and disciples, they wanted to impress Jesus. And they said to Jesus, um, Master, the, the fellow they're born blind. Now, now, who was it? Who was it who sinned? Him or his parents sinned? Uh, who, who was it? What happened there? Tell me, Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, in his way, just spoke to them very nicely and said, when are you going to get it? He said, nobody sinned. Nobody sinned that neither one of them sinned, that they would be, he would be born, born blind. What happened is, is that God would be glorified. And Jesus went over, and that day, that man's life was changed, so God would be glorified. Remember, church, that's the bottom line for everything, that God would be glorified, not, not that we would be blessed. If that's a little hard to swallow, sorry. But the bottom, if we're blessed in the process, it's a bonus. How many of you appreciate bonuses? God loves to hand out bonuses, so don't get too worried there, but the, 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 the whole of it wraps around that God will be glorified. 
Elijah, from that point, got up and he went to the city of Zarephath. God said, you'll find a widow woman gathering sticks. She'll take care of you. I think Elijah might have known, and when he said there was a widow woman there, that was the next part of the puzzle. That was the next piece of God's glorifying. From that point, you know the story perhaps, but God, Elijah said to the woman, please bring me a drink of water. The woman obeyed. There was still a little bit of water in the well. There was still some that was there, and it was, it, was a, it was a proper thing to do for a woman to obey the command of a man at that moment. As difficult as it was for Elijah to even speak the words, because in that culture, in that day, as it is in many Middle Eastern cultures today, you do not speak to a woman if she is not part of your family in public. But Elijah listened to the voice of God, he told her to bring her a drink of water, and so she said, okay, I will. She goes to get him a drink of water, and he says, whoop, 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 whoop. Come here. While you're getting me a drink of water, please bring me a cake to eat. And that's what she said. Uh-uh, got to draw the line right here. I can't do that because I only have enough cake, enough flour to make one cake for myself and my son. We're going to eat it. I was just gathering a few sticks to build a fire to make that cake, and we're going to eat that piece of bread, and then we're going to die because we have no more. But we figured we'd go out with one, one piece of bread left. And Elijah, Elijah spoke as God's orator and said to the woman, Look, you bring me a drink of water and make a cake for me first. And if you will do that, God will provide all of your needs. Now, something happened in the voice, in the heart of that woman, rather. There was something that took place. Remember, there's a famine as well as a drought. It's two for two. Elijah has learned the lesson how God wants to take care of us. But he says to the woman now, God wants to bless your life. Why did God choose this Gentile woman's family? I don't know, but, but there was a moment there. Something about that woman that God, as God loves every one of us, but he spoke to Elijah, and he said, go and tell her. So she, and I, I don't have time this morning to really develop into this whole area here, but the bottom line is this, church. She finally agreed. I don't think she agreed with her whole heart, or as we would say, wholeheartedly. How many of you are glad that God sometimes, though, he understands our heart before he hears our head? Anybody here ever get mad at God before? Oh, thank God, just one brother in the back. I see that hand, my friend. How many of you know that God hears our hearts before our head? When I think of Job's wife when she stood before ten coffins, and she said to Job, curse God and die, Job. Don't go through, this is too much to bear. And yet God restored to Job how much more? Yes. He restored all back to Job. Well, she was a recipient of the restoration and the blessing of God because God heard her heart. He understood the distraught manner she was living in. He understood the, the situation. When God spoke to Sarah and said, you're going to be the mother of all the nations, she laughed at God. She mocked him. That's one thing I don't ever want to go there. Hello? God heard her heart before he heard her head because at that moment... It was her head speaking, not her heart. In these difficult days in which we live, the challenging times that are before us, church, with situations that we have to face, I want to assure you that God is not shaken off of his throne. If somewhere, somehow, some point in time, there is a frustrated moment in your life and you say, Oh, God, what is this all about? 
I can't take this anymore. You said if I would tithe, you would take care of me, God. Excuse me for getting real. I just, I just, you know, I just got to tell it like it is. There's a moment of discouragement, of despair. There's a, this woman went through the same thing, but she finally said yes to God because she knew it was the right thing to do. She knew that she needed to follow the right request. She did that, and it was an amazing thing that every time she put the scoop into the sack of flour, every time there was more flour in the bag than when she took out, when she started. Every time she poured the oil out of her jar, there was more oil in the jar. <laughs> it reminds me, we had, you know, when Lauren was a little baby, we had uh, one of those dolls with a bottle that you, you, you pour the, tip the bottle upside down and the milk disappears. And then you put the bottle right side up and there's more milk again. It reminds me of one of those things. This lady had, the only thing is the, the, the kid, the, the little baby doll didn't get any milk, but, but she, she got oil every time. Once you have been to a Kareth, there is a place called Zarephath that God wants to take you to. Now, let, me, let me put it this way. Once God has taken you through Kareth, he can entrust you to go to Zarephath. Okay, let me put it this way. I'm not getting any amends. I'm not sure. I'm looking at deer in the headlights. What now? I'm trying to. Okay, once, once you have been to Kareth, then you are equipped to go to Zarephath. See, once you have been to Kareth, then you are equipped to go around the world and minister in missions effectively. Okay, let me back up. Once you have been to Kareth, then you're able effectively to conquer Zarephath. Does that make sense? Say amen. Okay. And so Elijah goes to Zarephath. The miracle takes place. But the beautiful part of the miracle is this, church. It's not just Elijah who is blessed, but the woman now is blessed. And, she's take, and her son is blessed. And there is, a, there is a miracle in her house that continually unfolds every day. Of every, and it's an amazing process. This woman lives in the place of, of, of a miracle every day. I mean, if I'd have been there, I'd have kept dumping the oil out. Where is the end of this? And it kept coming and coming and coming. How many of you know that it is possible to live in the realm of a miracle every day? Perhaps this morning you're here in service and you are living in a miracle. Maybe the doctor said you should have been dead six years ago and you're still uh, sucking air. See, I don't know what it is, but, but there is provision for us that we know as a child of God that he says in difficult days, when it rains, when it doesn't rain, when it's sunshine, when there's no sunshine, when, in, when, there's, when there's plenty, when there's nothing, I'm still going to take you to, Zer to, to Kareth, and then you'll be able to go to Zarephath. The problem is this. There's a third place in the journey that, that we're all affected by. And... and um, you know, there is, there is so much more to this story that I would like to, to address this morning. But I believe that God is taking churches. Listen to me carefully as I wind this thing down for you this morning. 
I believe that God is taking churches today to Kareth. He is allowing some churches, not that churches are facing famine, not that we're necessarily facing a drought, but what happens is, is that we are, we are coming to the place in our lives corporately as a body of believers that God wants to take us to a place where we, we voluntarily become completely dependent upon God for everything. Now we say that we do, but do we really? How many of you know there's a difference there? There's a huge difference there, church, if you don't know that. And those churches that are willing to go to Kareth voluntarily, those churches that are willing to go to the place where it is lonely, they're willing to go to a place where nobody else has gone before, they're willing to go to a place where there's nobody else there, it's not a popular thing to do. It's not a popular place to go. How many of you are tracking with me now, church? God wants to take you to a place called Kareth. It's lonely sometimes. It's hard sometimes. It's challenging sometimes. But those churches that are willing these, in this day, those bodies of believers who will say yes to God, I will obey and go to Kareth. I will settle for bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and not a lavish feast. I will do as you command, O oh God. I will be there. I'll obey. He's saying to you, then... When I know that, I can take you to, to, to uh, Zarephath from here on out. But here's the most amazing thing. It's, it's one thing to go to Zarephath and to minister to people and, and to, to um, see a difference in their lives and, and experience the blessing of God, to live in a miracle like that. And uh, it's, it's one thing to do that, but... But here's the next deal, and I want to quickly just wrap this up with this thought. Usually when a preacher says that twice, it just, you disregard it completely. So, what happens next is uh, her son, this, this boy that grew up now with Uncle Elijah. He's a young man now, it's been some time, and... Uh, Elijah made a place of an upper room in their house. It was a place where the prophet's chambers were. It was a place where Elijah would come to town and he would stay for long periods of time with this widow woman and her son, and uh, he would be there. And it was a humble home, but there was a place that Elijah could go. And uh, the Bible says that her son grew sick, and so sick he dies. And... Uh, this son was the woman's hope because every mother knew that it was the eldest son or the, the son to take care of her in her old age. He was the, he was the shining star of, of the world. He was everything to her. She had nothing but her son. In India today, when a boy is born, they rejoice and celebrate. When a girl is born, they weep and they cry and, and, and it's, I cannot tell you, it's called female infanticide in India. This year in India alone, they will kill, because they are girls when they're born, one million little girls. I am so thrilled that my family, we're leaving in December to go to India, and I am so excited for, to bring Lauren to India, and I'm so proud to bring Nathan with me to India and Brenda, 
because Nathan is my soccer champ, and he's going to get involved with the young people and minister to, to some of the young people and do some things with soccer, and it's exciting. Uh, Lauren, as she, uh, I mentioned, plays the piano and sings, and I cannot wait for them to see this little girl worshiping God and loving God as she plays the piano and sings for Jesus. This year in India, they will kill one million little girls. This year in India, they will sell one million little girls into prostitution because in India, drugs can be used only once, but little girls can be used over and over and over again, and they sell for $200 apiece. That's how much you can buy a little girl for in, in India today. We have a ministry that we're part of called Project Rescue in, in, in Bombay on throughout India. Project Rescue takes the little girls uh, who are in prostitution and gets them out and gets their children of the prostitutes out. It's an amazing, amazing ministry, I tell you. This year, over a million little girls will be aborted because they found out they were little girls. This young boy was all the mother had. He dies. There was a moment that, that, that pricked the conscience of this woman. And she comes to Elijah and she says, what, what is this? Is this what I have to remember my sin for? Something, how many of you know in places, in times and moments of vulnerability, the enemy can weasel himself in there. The father of lies begin to, begins to accuse us and to bring up accusations of the past. It causes men to cry out to God. Elijah makes a tender request to this woman, and she says, give me the boy. There is so much significance here, but Elijah, the Bible says, takes the boy upstairs to his room. This, this house where where Elijah went of the widow was very mean. It was very poor. It, it wasn't lavish at all. I, it was probably worse than your shed out back. But there was one room that was a reception room for the king that was incredible. It was upstairs because it was in that room where Elijah had come so many times to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the presence of God made that room more regal than any palace on earth. And so as Elijah was there, the Bible says he began to pray. And, and it's interesting because nobody had been raised from the dead before this. Elijah didn't have a couple of chapters in prophet school and how to pray for the dead to be raised. He didn't know what he was doing. But with all of his sensitivity and tenderness in his heart, he listens to the voice of God and he begins to pray for the, for the boy. This is, this is one, one thing that happened. It never happened after before. But God spoke to Elijah. He began to pray for the boy. The Bible says he spread out, the, he laid the boy in his bed and, he, and Elijah laid himself on top of the boy put his hands on his hands and his feet by his feet and, and, and literally was in a position of, of assuming symbolically life from Elijah to go into the boy, the, the life of God. But Elijah had never been taught how to pray like this, but he prayed anyways. 
how many of you know that when, when God takes us to Kareth and then God takes us to Zarephath, there is a place, once you've learned Zarephath, the lessons of Zarephath, God wants to take you to a place beyond yourself. I don't know the name of that place. If, if you can think of a good name, tell me afterwards to help me out if I preach this message again somewhere. I don't, I don't, I just call it a place beyond ourselves. Elijah prayed to bring this boy back to life. How many of you would agree that's beyond us? See, in other words, Elijah, God required Elijah now to go to a place that was far beyond himself. It was a place where Elijah couldn't even imagine. It was a place that had never been, that nobody had ever been to before. Bringing the dead back to life? Think about that church. He had no stories of prophets. He had no testimonies of others being brought back to life. He challenges the greatest challenger of all, death. You talk about faith. How many of you know that took some faith? I mean, now we've heard stories, right? He didn't have any stories back then. So he, he prayed. Not once, not twice, but three times. How many of you know that when God takes us to a place beyond ourselves, we do it his way or no way? And so he prayed, and all of a sudden, the Bible says that breath came into the boy, and he came up, he came to life, and Elijah brought him downstairs and presented him to his mom and said, Here, here's your boy. I think every mother in this room would agree with me this morning that she probably ran to him and smothered him. All the mom said, I mean, just, just hugged all over him. That poor boy. I recently got an email from a friend of mine in California who is uh, a very, very uh, dependable guy. Well, in fact, I, I can tell you this because you, you might know. Um, some of you who know Pastor Wayne Benson from First Assembly in Grand Rapids who used to be there, his, this is his brother-in-law, Kathy's brother. Uh, Charlie, and he sent me an email about, about, a, about a church that he called and he knew in, in North Carolina. This, this uh, church was sending a group of young people on a missions trip. You guys ever gone on a missions trip here? The, okay. So it was, a, it was an aim trip. It was a, a mission, short-term missions trip, two weeks, you know, whatever. And they were going down, and I, I'm sorry, but I forget the nation, but I want to say it was Nicaragua was in Central America, and they were down there, and, and the American teenagers would, would partner up with the, with the Nicaraguan teenagers, and they would go out, and they went out of the villages in the, in the countryside, and they were uh, encouraging the people to come out to a service that night in the village. And I forget exactly, because uh, some of these details have slipped my mind, but whether it was they were showing the Jesus film, or there was some project, something was happening at night, and they were they were trying to gather the people together. I think they even had tape recorders they played and people could uh, hear the, the, the commercial for the evening service. And so there was a group of these young people, American teenagers with a few Nicaraguan teenagers and 
and a leader of the group. And they went out, they split up, and they went out to the different villages around, across the countryside by this, in this area of Nicaragua. And so while they're there, this one group of the teens went to this one village, and while they were there, they, they, they came into the village, they got out of the car, and, and they walked around. a very small little village. I say small. I don't know how many thousands of people lived there, but it was not a big city. And so as they were there, they noticed that the, the, the town was extremely quiet. The village was very quiet, not a whole lot of activity going on. And they thought, well, maybe there's something special going on in school or whatever. And, and uh, come to find out, as, as they went into the first home to, to uh, visit them, a woman came to the door, and she was dressed in complete black. And others were in the room uh, with her, and through the translator with the team, he told them that the woman who had, they'd seen in dress black, she had just given birth yesterday to a baby girl, or a baby boy rather, he was stillborn. And so the baby had died, and so they were, they were in mourning still, and, and the woman was there grieving. And so they felt bad that they had kind of crashed that moment and, and stuff, so they, they asked to pray for, for the, the lady, and they all prayed for her in the home and the village and such, and, and, and they, were, they were leaving the, going out the door to leave, and one 14-year-old girl from this church, Brother Dave, said, wait a minute. Something happened in her spirit that was only of God. I, I would have to say beyond the shadow. I don't know this girl. I don't know her name even. My guess is, though, she, she had been to Kareth. She said to, to the group, to the translator, she said, can I ask a, a question? And the guy said, sure. And she walked over very gently and and this, this, this description of the story says that she, 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 as she talked to the lady, she looked her into the eyes of the, of the young lady and she said, where is the baby? And they said, the baby's in the back room. They hadn't done any kind of embalming. They haven't, they, it, was, it was in a box. They were getting ready for the funeral later on that evening. And... Uh, it was, it was just there. Not, not in a cold, nothing, just there. And they walked back into the room. And the little girl, 14-year-old girl from this church in North Carolina, this is some of the God Youth Group in North Carolina, walked over to where that little baby was. And she said to the, the, the leader who was with her from, from the, the team, she says, I want to pray for the baby. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I have led dozens of missions teams overseas. I, I have been involved in missions. And if I had been a leader of that group, I would have said, let's, let's not bother. Come on. There's nothing more we can do. Oh, me of great faith, right? That little girl went over and she began to pray. They said that baby was purple. And that's what happens to a dead body after 24 hours or so. In fact, just a few hours they turn purple as the blood settles. And she began to pray. Something within her spirit said, pray for the baby. You know where I'm going, don't you? Because as she prayed for that baby, church, that little boy started 
choking and gasping for breath. And you could, they said you could watch the purple turn to pink from the top of his head as he went down. And that baby began to cry and cry. Need I tell you the entire village came to Christ that night in, in the service. And I, I, the, the waves have spoken, gone out from there. Some of you maybe have seen the video clip from Reinhard Bonnke, missionary evangelist to Africa from Germany. He's a German evangelist. They have a video clip of them praying for a dead man in his service, and he comes to life. I want to tell you, church, once we have been to Kareth, and God takes you to Zarephath, if you're serious about what God is doing, he's going to take you beyond I want to I share as I close. I'm serious now. This is for true. There are miracles that are happening overseas at, at alarming rates. I personally believe there are going to be miracles in America as once were in the early church again, just prior to the return of Christ. And I believe we're there. I believe we're living in the day just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you, the, 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 number one, the number one challenge right now in the world is the war on Islam. That is not just some made-up, freaky thing that some lunatic guys with their turbans too tight on their heads are, are making up. If, if you don't know this now, you need to understand it very clearly. The war of Islam against the rest of the world is very real. They are serious when they say they plan to attack and destroy the little Satan, Jerusalem, or, or, or uh, Israel, and the big Satan, America. Those are not just lies. There is a cataclysmic event coming along because in the Muslim's mind, especially in, in the mind of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, he believes that he is the chosen vessel to bring back their uh, 12th imam or their messiah, their Mahdi. And as they bring back the Mahdi, it's, it's going to be because of a cataclysmic world event that will bring his return to us. And he believes with his whole heart that he's the chosen one to do that. There are Muslims that are coming to Christ in record numbers around the world today. Our missionaries are standing back in awe as they see Muslims coming to Christ. We're seeing Hindus in North India. I'm involved in a church planting project right now that I've claimed as one of my, my life's projects. We're planting a thousand house churches in Delhi, India in seven years' time. I don't have time to tell you all about that this morning. But we're seeing Hindus come to Christ in record numbers. I'm telling you what, is it worth going to Kareth? You bet it is. Is it worth going from there to Zarephath? Absolutely. Because when you do, God takes you beyond. And I believe that's where God wants to take Gateway Church. In fact, I believe it so much, it's a, I believe it's a prophetic word from God for this church. The question is, will we say yes? Let's pray. Father, we bow our hearts this morning knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we also know that we're living in such incredibly precarious days. These are times that are not fun sometimes. These are times that are extremely challenging, often days. But Father, we know that if we go to Kareth, we'll be safe. 
Then you can take us to Zarephath. Then you can take us beyond. And Lord, that's where we want to go. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, can I quickly ask you two questions? And then I'm going to turn the service back over to Brother Dave. The first question is this. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive your sin, to come and live in your life, to believe in him, to believe that he can forgive your sin. That's what the Bible says you need to have happen in your life to become saved. That's what the Bible says is your ticket to heaven. It's very simple, but very profound. And I don't know about you, but during these difficult days that we're living in, some people say that God is a crutch. And you know what? He's the best crutch in all the world. I agree with him. He's there to help you during these days. But there's no better deal going right now anywhere to have your past forgiven, to have your present day you're living in secured, and to know that your future is all taken care of. And all you got to do is pray and ask God in your heart and believe him. Commit your life to him. Maybe you did that at one time, but you know this morning you're sitting here and, and he's not... He's not the Lord of your life. You're not living for him. This is the best opportunity you're going to have to come back to Christ, maybe in a long time, maybe ever. If that's you this morning and you'd like to be included in a closing prayer, I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand to your feet, but I want to know because I want to pray for you. And if you'd like to be included in this closing prayer that we are all going to pray together, would you just slip a hand up right now while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and say, Dean, include me in that prayer because... I want to make things right with God this morning. Anyone at all, just slip a hand up and put it back down. Anybody at all before I, I go on. It didn't take long to look over this auditorium, but I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Anybody before we pray? Thank you. Put your hand down. I see it. Sure. Thank you. Anybody else? Join this one. I am so glad I just asked the last time. Any others before I pray, before we pray together? We're going to pray that prayer in just a moment, but here's the next question I have for you is this. How many of you are here this morning and you love God and uh, you're serving God, but you are facing uh, the famine and the drought like Elijah? It could, be pers- it could be just inside your own heart and life. Maybe not even real around you, but it could be internal. It doesn't matter, whatever it may be. Maybe it is real outside of you. But you can say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. If you say go to Kareth, I'll go to Kareth. I'm going to go wherever you need me to go, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your, uh, I'm going to be a candidate for you, God, to send me and to do with me. I just want to obey. I want to make it right and, and, and make certain that you're glorified in my life. And you're struggling with that. Maybe you have been living your own life, your own way, doing your own thing. Loving God, but still. And this morning, you can make a a commitment to God to say, I'll do it this way. I'm going to do it your way, God, and not mine. If that's you, would you slip a hand up? Just put it up. Sure, sure. Many of you. Many of you. Young people, how about you guys? There's an awesome youth group in this church. How about you guys, young people? Slip it up. Put it back down. Okay, several of you. I really have gone longer than I anticipated, church. But, you know, God's doing a great work here. And I want you to pray this prayer with me before Brother Bill comes back up. And then I want to pray a prayer for those of you who just now raised your hand a moment ago. 
Would you all repeat this prayer with me for that one who raised their hand to say yes to God? Dear Heavenly Father, that's right, I recognize this morning that Christ is real. That he came to this earth and died for my sin. I don't know how it all works, but I believe that it does. You said in your word, if I would believe in my heart and confess my need for you in my mouth, that you would answer my prayer. You would forgive my sin and become my Lord and Savior. Change my heart this morning. It belongs to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. And Father, I pray for these as well that raised their hands a moment ago to say, I have been doing it my own way for too long, and I want to do it God's way. Lord, we don't know what, what, what's ahead for us. We don't know what lies ahead, but we do know, God, that as we follow your heartbeat and your will, you'll be there to take care of us. You'll make the difference in our lives. And, Lord, I understand how uncertainty can follow our hearts closely, how we can fear and have, have a lack of faith and doubt and all of these things. But, God, we know that if, if, if you say go to Kareth, we'll go to Kareth. We'll be there with you, Lord. Take us there, I pray. Oh, God. And, Lord, if we need to go to Zarephath, because I, I believe you'll take us there, we'll be able to minister effectively to people around the world in our community, everywhere, God. You can use us. You can use us, God, for your glory, and you'll be glorified in it all. And, Lord, there will even be moments where you take us beyond ourselves and you glorify yourself in us in a powerful way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray corporately for this body. I thank you for Pastor Ben and his family. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in his life. And I've watched this young man grow up as a young boy. I know he has a heart that wants to follow hard after you. And Lord, I believe there's a people here who want to follow hard after you. And I pray, God, that you'll use them in places and ways and times and in situations they've never imagined possible. Take them so far beyond themselves, oh God, that they will be astounded by the miracles that you do through them, but that they will give you the glory for it all. Oh God, make a way where there is no way. Lord, we give you that privilege in our lives. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Father.
You know, it's, um, it's wonderful to uh, know that whatever wilderness you are in, God is there. You know, I'm an avid archer. I love to bow hunt. I know there are a lot of you guys here that love to do that, but you know, sometimes when I'm in that wilderness, there's such a serenity. You know, God owns it all. He controls it all, and he provides it all. There is no question about it. It's a condition of our heart that we have to realize that. And, you know, this message is so touching, so rousing. You know, it builds faith and, and it gives us hope during times of economic struggles that we're in, or whether it's a relationship, whether it's something physically with you, whether it's your job, kids, grandkids, wife, no matter what it is. Whatever the wilderness might be, a wilderness isn't just being in the woods. Wilderness is wherever you are. If you're facing challenges, God is there. It's just your heart you've got to have in condition so that he can work with you. And he's got the answers. just need to let ourselves be used by God. Thank you, Dean Elliott. Wonderful, wonderful message this morning. Appreciate you coming and uh, giving the message this morning. May God bless you. We uh, want to take a, a, a love offering for uh, Dean Elliott and his uh, missions uh, efforts and his uh, willingness to come and, and uh, help us this morning. And